The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is the Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Ensemble Advice South Africa. Today I have with me in the studio Kim Potriter. Kim is the Director and Head of Life Planning at Chartered Wealth Solutions. Kim has a string of designations, uh, truly someone that loves learning, but more importantly, someone that's curious and shares that curiosity. Kim, it's so great to actually be able to pronounce Potrider because I've listened to a lot of your conversations with overseas uh, podcast hosts and the surname just changes. And from a, ma- a fundamental to a Potrider, welcome to the show. Louis, thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Kim, I want to start off with your journey in financial services. And it's a powerful story that I've heard you share quite a few times. I've been I've had the privilege of learning from you through your presentations. But for our audience, you know, remembering that it's young financial planners, but also more experienced financial planners that are saying, there must be a different way of doing this. Share with us those kind of first steps into the financial services world. So Louis, can you believe it? But I had my 15-year work anniversary at Chartered Wealth Solutions last month. And I went, 15 years, is that how long I've been here? Because when when I share my journey, for me, it feels like it was yesterday that it started. It doesn't feel like it was 15 years ago. And just also, I mean, for the people that can't see me and don't know me, to know that that was my second career. I didn't, first of all, go into financial planning. That was a career change for me in my late 30s. It was something that I really wanted to do. So it wasn't something that I'd studied. Um, But it was more something that life had taught me that there was a need for this different kind of financial planning. And from our discussions today, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll go into the difference. So, yes, I mean, I was second career and I had to, I suppose, go about it a little bit of a different way in the sense that I hadn't learned how to sell products. And and, and I think I'm grateful for that because I, I didn't graduate and then come into a business where that's what I was taught. I did it like the other way around. And by doing it the other way around, for for me, I went and then studied 
and not having any knowledge of the industry and, and studying to, to do my postgraduate was, was, was quite an education and, and something that I, I really had to, I don't know, lean on other people for. And I'm always grateful. Carmen Fenter knows how grateful I am to her. Because my first day of going into lectures, because I was doing it through the Free State University, but I went to extra classes and I walked into my extra class um, to learn to do my, my, my studies. And I sat next to this woman who I decided was going to be my friend. She says she ducked her head and hoped that I wasn't coming to sit next to her. You can ask her, she'll tell you that. But I chose her as a friend. And yeah, so we studied our postgraduates together. And then when we finished our postgraduates, I mean, she really helped me through it. And I'll be able to proudly say to you that I finished it with distinctions. Thank you to Carmen. And um, yeah, uh, she said to me, oh, I'm changing careers because if I could teach you it, I can teach anybody. And now she runs her whole school of teaching people. Uh, just, to, just to add there, uh, Carmen has been a guest on the show. And I can also say thank you, Carmen, for helping through uh, various diplomas. So if you're, if you're studying towards your postgraduate diploma, please check out Carmen's website and go and listen to that episode. We'll add a link to the show. Yeah, no, if a great recommendation. It all started with me because she said if she could teach me, she could teach anybody. You were the original patient zero. So <laughs> <laughs> then I, I had this postgraduate. And what do you do with a postgraduate now? Remember, I'm not in the industry and uh, I was that kind of person. And, and I think maybe it's something that I'm sharing because I want to, to encourage people to reach out to other people in the industry for help. So they come and help me. And my second person that I owe a lot of gratitude to is Andrew Bradley. And I, I had my postgraduate and, um, you know, where, where, do, where do you go with that? And I went... And I read different articles of what good financial planning was. And, and reading the articles of what a good financial planner was, I chose Andrew Bradley as somebody who, who represented the kind of industry I wanted to be in. Fast, you know, go backwards to 15 years ago. And it was a brilliant work that he was doing at Axis. And um, when I had a meeting with him and we had a, a discussion, and at that time in the discussion, he said to me, because look, I wasn't. I was asking for quite a lot. Of, I was asking for a job where I could work three mornings a week. Where I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that because I had a young daughter. My daughter was only two at the time. And he said to me, "Well, I, I know these forward-thinking financial planners. Their name was John Campbell and Barclay Hall. You know, maybe you should see them." And and at the time, they had just lost one of their um, uh, admin people. So when I went in for the interview, they didn't ask me much. And the fact that I had a postgraduate and I didn't want to really earn that much. Well, I mean, I, I was saying I didn't want to. Little did they know. Um, they hired me on at my first interview. So I'd never worked for, my, I'd never worked for anybody because I've always been an entrepreneur. But I, I got a job with them at Chartered. Chartered looked very different then. We were five people. We're now close to about 85, 86 people. So in the 15 years, it's been quite a journey. So that's how I came into the industry. I was now the administrator and I had a postgraduate diploma. I um, yeah, I mean, I was a terrible administrator. <laughs> I've heard so many financial planners say that, myself included. So it's, uh, it's a but good it's confession a to make. Learning. I mean, so it's, it's a great learning to do. And I mean, any financial planner, I mean, that comes through our article planning program at Chartered, we insist that they do admin. We all, well, most of us hate it. Some of us are worse at it than others. I particularly was bad at it because I didn't have great computer skills, but they didn't ask me that in the interview. So I, um, 
ended up not really loving administration. And then I resigned. So I left Chartered. I went home again. I thought, no, there's another way to this industry. I want to be with people. And at that time, John had won Financial Planner of the Year through the FBI. And he went to the States and he attended the conference there. And while he was there, he picked up a book called The Next Step in Financial Planning by Roy Delaberta. And while he was reading it, he kept thinking of me because while I had worked to Chartered in the beginning, I'd gone, there's got to be a different way of doing it. The person is the most important person. Uh, and, and I was trying to create something. But when he read the book, there Roy Delaberta was talking about all of this life planning. George Kinder, Mitch Anthony. And um, he said he read it the whole way home on the plane, couldn't wait to come back and give me the book. And yeah, that was where my second career chart had started because I then said, okay, I'm coming back, no salary, just let me come back. And this is the work that I want to do. So Kim, to interrupt you there, when you now celebrate 15 years, is it from the start date of your first joining Chartered or is it the, the, your second wave? You know what? There wasn't much difference between the two. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> so I this all joined, happened. Yeah, no, I joined for three months. And, uh, and, and so it's actually my second joining, but I joined for three months. I was only really home for a month. And and then John got the book. So there, there was a small little gap in, 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 the, in the time period. That, that space that you stayed at home, what was it like just thinking about your experience? You've now invested a lot of time and energy studying something, a lot of time and energy trying to find the right fit. And after three months, I, I would imagine that some of that hope and energy was maybe lost. Like, can you share with us what it felt like at that point? And I think it's an important question that you're asking me because I often feel like people don't give the industry enough time before they decide they don't like it. Because let me tell you, for, for me, and, and I probably talk for a whole lot of people that are financial planners, we love people. We love being with people. So when we first come into it and we are asked to do an article planner program for three years or two years and we're doing administrating and we're doing all of that, we go, sure, this is not for me and we exit too quickly. So, so it's a great question because when I went home, I obviously, I loved chartered. I, I loved the industry. I was so excited about the industry. I'd actually gone to my first conference in the, in the three years. I'd, I'd, I'd gone to the Axis conference. And I, you know, when you're so excited about something, when it speaks to you, I knew this industry was for me. So it was a real disappointment that um, the role I was given was a, as an administrator and um, for people that do know me, and I know you know me, Lou, I don't have great patience. So maybe my message out there to younger people entering the, in the industry, have patience. You're not going to be doing admin forever, but it is a necessary skill to be learning. Yeah, that's such a, a tricky entry point. You know, when you think about it, we've been doing quite a bit of work around the Gallup Strength Finder, and I, love, I know you also love assessments, saying to someone, work on this area of yourself, even though it's most likely not the most important part of becoming a good financial planner? What, like, why do you think we do it? Is it just to solidify the technical knowledge? And when, some, when a client says, oh, you know, we know how that, that works, like, yeah, does it still make sense following that process? I do think it makes sense. And, and I'll say why I think it makes sense is because our expectations otherwise of our team that are there helping us with all of this is unrealistic. So, I mean, often as a planner, you're with a client 
and 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 you're so excited you had this aha meeting and you just want to do the world for them in this short period of time but our industry is a whole lot of paperwork administration and all of that so i do believe it's necessary that we have that background so i would encourage people to get that because when you work with your team even though you're not doing it I think it's so valuable to know what everybody else in your team is, is is doing and what it's like to be doing it. And there are people out there that are brilliant at admin. And I say thank you to them every day. I love that. How you're saying, well, it gives us context. It allows us to see what is a reasonable expectation and what is unreasonable. And I would imagine at the same time, it allows us to convey that to the client to say, hey, hold on, we can't do 50 things here. This actually, there's a process behind this and there's steps and there's someone that actually has to do it. How do you see people react when they get that understanding versus someone that maybe just jumped into financial planning and just you know, give advice without that? It's where we always pick up all our, our problems. So in, in running a business, for us, we have seen that as a non-negotiable. And sometimes you feel bad. I mean, somebody comes in and they've had incredible experience in other industries potentially, and now they're coming in and they're a little bit older. And we say to them, I'm sorry, you have to go back to doing admin. Um, and, and, and and you know, we have lost people in, in the time period as well, because people go, no, 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 you know what? I like sales. But I think for us as a, as a business, it still makes sense as the building blocks and whenever I meet with somebody who's an up-and-coming financial planner and they ask me, I always tell them, go back, learn all of that and pick up from everybody else around you what you like, what you don't like. And in that way, you're going to be a way better financial planner than if you were just fast-forwarded and you, and you didn't get to do it all. It's almost like those undercover CEO programs where the CEO is doing the work of cleaning, you know, not to degrade the standard of administration because to run a business, that's probably one of the most complex areas and the most important piece to get right. And you know, Louis, we make one mistake, one mistake. I mean, like the form gets filled in wrong or there's information that's missing on it. Like we lose all our credibility with our client. We have to pay money back because we haven't done it properly. So it it, it is, is a vitally important role. And I do encourage people to learn it first. Do you think the stress and the pressure of that kind of role is something that we're not talking enough about? I mean, even just the anxiety that someone knowing that a small mistake can lead to something big um, must be operating under. Like, how does a business like Jotted Wealth Solutions work at at that, like having these conversations. So I think there are two conversations that, that you that we could potentially look at, and and I think the one is yes, the administration part, and then there's also the planner part, the stress of the conversations that planners are having to have with people if they're running out of money, or they're going through family trauma. So there's a whole lot of support that I believe that we need to be giving to each other, and when I say support, I think it's having that other person that checks your work. Because if you know at the end of the day that 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 you've you could have made a mistake, but there's somebody else that could have checked your work, I think it's so helpful just knowing. And it doesn't take that accountability away from you. But what it does do is it brings in the team and not the I. So what one thing that we do here is we have um especially like say if you've written a financial plan, 
it has to be checked by another team, not your team. It gets checked by another team so that we can see if, if things have been le- left off. And then from an administration point of view, we always have an admin person and we have what's called a CRM, a client relationship manager. And that client relationship manager needs to check the, the admin person's work as well. And it's not because we don't trust, but it's because otherwise, exactly what you're saying, the anxiety that that person goes through often causes them to make the mistake. I'd love to learn a bit more about the role of the CRM. Is that someone that's a trained certified financial planner? No, not a chartered, it isn't. I think, in, I think no, it's not a paraplanner. And I know we've got these different names. So I always confuse people in the industry. For us, the client relationship manager is somebody who actually is like a project manager, is the liaison with the client, books the meetings, make sure that the client's coming in, make sure that everything's ready for the client. And then our administrators are the people that aren't dealing with clients. They're dealing with, the, the, the say, the investment um, houses and all of that. So they're doing all the calls, making sure that the astute is downloaded, making sure that everything's ready for the planner when the planner walks into a meeting that they're going in with the up-to-date information. So our CRM is more client-focused and our administration is obviously the service provider-focused. And that is all supporting the planner so that the planner can spend more time with the client doing what they do best. So when you talk about these teams, would that essentially then be three people, the administrator, the CRM, and the planner within that team, or is there is there more to it? So we have more on our team. So we have about five in the team. So we have a planner would also have what's called an associate planner. An associate planner is somebody that has got their postgraduate, got their CFP, and had at least three years' experience at Chartered. So they've got an associate in their team, and they also have what we call an article planner, and an article planner is somebody who's just passed their board, might not have their, their, their qualification yet, and would be in their supervision time. And that person would be helping taking minutes and starting to learn how to write the plans, but that's after they've done the admin. This sounds to me so familiar. It's almost like the work that Angie Herbert does around the diamond teams. And you know, Angie's been a, a guest on the show and it just takes away that pressure. Time and time again, we see that because we also operate as a team. But, you know, running a business of 85 people, yes, you get to build bigger teams. How was that in the early days? Like, did you, what did you start off with? Was it just a planner and an admin? Or like, what do you add first when you're a business owner listening to this? Okay, so I mean, that was before my time. So when John and Barkley hired me, remember they hired me as an administrator. So they had started the business 20 years ago. It's our 20th birthday this year. So we'll be doing a big celebration in September. They started off with, they did everything. Just like, you know, how, how we work in the industry. And then, yes, they got administrators that were there getting all the information and supporting them. There was no article planners. There was no associate planners. There were no CRMs, client relationship managers. And the the move that they made was an interesting one. And one that I think was very valuable is they hired a practice manager. So we, we look at all of this and they made a decision. So they sat down and they made a decision that they wanted to work on their business and not always in their business. It was their one piece of advice. And the second one is they put themselves onto salaries, which you must remember that was 18 years ago or 17 years ago. That was unheard of in the industry to, to go onto salary. They put themselves onto sa- salaries and they hired a practice manager 
to run and look after all of that. Now they had time to sit back in their business and say, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? And they hired their first planner, who's still a planner that works at Chartered. And, and that planner started going into meetings with them and transferring the relationship. And John often shares about how when you walk past a boardroom, and it's, it's Pat Blammer is, is the planner I'm talking about, and he looked in into the boardroom, and there Pat was sitting with one of his clients, and he went, like, doesn't that client want to see me anymore? But that was how we started learning to not say that the client was the individual planners, and it wasn't John or Barclay's client, it now became a chartered wealth client. And that was a turning moment for them in their careers and how they started thinking of building this business as opposed to just how they would stay a planner. That's such a valuable point saying, it's not my client, this is now a client of the business. Is that something people use in their language at Chartered, saying this is a Chartered client? Like, Is it something you would point them out on to say, hey, this is not your client? Well, I mean, so, so I, I don't have any clients chartered. John doesn't have any clients and nor does Barclay. So we, we the, the three, what, what do you want to call us, owners of the business, but we, we, we don't have any clients. Um, we go into meetings with whoever needs us to go into meetings so we can help and support them. And we always, the terminology we do use is that you're a chartered client. So I'll often say to a client, I mean, John and I have this thing called Lunch with John and Kim which is a bit like a client advisory panel that we do, something we learned from Roy Dalaberta that we started many years ago and is when we call our clients in. And at those meetings, I'll often say to clients, if you do not have a good fit with your planner, do not worry. There are other planners or charter that might have a better personality fit with you. And let's rather than they go, oh, Kim, I mean, if we go to a different um, planner, they won't my planner be upset. I say no, because we're all earning salaries. We're all in it because we want the clients to be happy. And there will be times where you have not done a personality fits. So yes, you're a chartered client and we can move you to the different teams. That intentionality around, you know, this is how we set up so that we don't have misaligned incentive, I think is such an important piece. And I want to talk a bit about the hat that you're wearing as a business owner. You know, we can we can go off and we can up our skills in terms of becoming a better financial planner. We can do coaching courses, but it feels like there's a piece still missing around training a really good financial planning practice business owner. Before we started, you mentioned to me that you are exploring this. Can can you share a little bit of where you are in that journey and what's helpful for Chartered? So I think what happens for most of us, and, and I mean, you know it, you're a business owner, is we started out with this love for planning. We did. We, we started out loving being with our clients. And if we've been good, our client base increases and then we need help. We need someone to come in and help us with this, an article planner, a social planner. And so, so we start building it. And there's two things we can do. We can decide, and I do think it's an... I mean, you talk about intention, and I think we need to talk intention behind it. Are we looking to be a financial planner, to keep our client base and look after that client base for our lifetime? Or are we looking to build a business that potentially will be around when we're not around? Now, we at Chartered made that decision that we were building the business. So yes, we needed to get the skills. And I encourage financial planners to get those skills because they're very different to the skills of being a good financial planner. So the way I've been, you know, we got to the point where we've got a lot of really good young financial planners are chartered. 
And I wanted to impart some of those learnings that I've had over the 15 years. Um, and this year, I was fortunate enough, I belong to an organization called um, WPO, which is Women's President's Organization. And one of the women on, on it said to me that she had signed up last year to do the Stanford Seed course. Now, Stanford Seed is Stanford Business School in the States, and they run a special program for um, African countries and Indian countries to help entrepreneurs run proper businesses. And this, so I went through the whole application process and they came and interviewed me and Chartered is on the Stanford Seed program this year. So we started in January, we'll only finish at the end of November. And I'm doing it with uh, a whole lot of the new young planners. And we're doing four different business parts. We're doing HR, we're doing finance, we're doing marketing, and we, and, and, and we are doing strategy. And with those four parts, they teach us, the Stanford lecturers, we have to come up with a transformation program for Chartered. And it's being, I mean, we're only, we're not halfway there yet. It's a lot of work. I'll say it's a lot of work. But I have loved the time with my team talking about how we do the finances, why we do it this way, why, why, why strategy is this. And it's lovely having that young energy in the room. I love working with young people. I love hearing their outlooks on everything. And for me, it's been a little bit of me being able to also share my learnings. As you said at the beginning, I love to learn, but I also love to share. I want to know why you decided to include younger people in that. You know, you, you mentioned a little bit of it, but I would imagine that that is not a decision that any business owner would take lightly to say, let's bring in someone, you know, maybe with a fresh pair of eyes, but also someone that's going to challenge my authority. Can you share a bit of what that thought process happened, or is that just the way Kim is hired, wired to say, "Hey, this we can't do this without them." Exactly, we can't do it without them. I, I mean, I mean, let's just go back. I mean, when I go into a meeting to see a client, I I always go in with a younger person, and when I go in with a younger person, at first, you know, a lot of the clients have come because they've read my books or they've heard me on the radio, and then they come in and they want me to be the planner. And then I walk in with a younger person. And actually, sometimes I can even tell the body language. Like, she's not leaving me with this young person. I want to be with her because she's got all the wisdom of all these years. And, you know, she, she'll resonate with what I'm going through. And I've got a set answer where I say, we are so much better off together. I'm coming in with all this life knowledge. And my colleague here has got incredible up-to-date knowledge they know how the latest investments are working. They know how the latest planning tools are working. And together, we're a great team. So that's when I'm with a client. So it, it can't be different when I'm running a business. If I'm running my business and I'm keeping my outlook and the way I see the world, and I'm in a certain age bracket, I'm only seeing the world in one way. I need to bring the different perspectives in. So yes, I do like the energy. I like the challenging. I like the different perspectives. And, and I love the part where I can also impart a whole lot of stuff that I've picked up in the 15 years of running a business, of being a financial planner. So I think together we're stronger. It's so beautifully put that the clients come for wisdom, but actually what they need is the energy the energy to actually implement some things. I want to talk a little bit about how you personally define a successful client relationship. You know, we see a lot of people just measuring it by the rands and cents, but obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you probably realize that it's not only the rands and cents. So I want to know how do you define a successful client relationship? 
So, Libby, anybody who knows me, um, and I'm hoping some of the listeners have maybe, you know, shared my journey before today as well. It's all around the client. And I, the value proposition for, for me has always been around return on investment, but also return on life. So for me, how I value my client relationships is if I have managed to support a client on their journey of life to live their best life possible with the money they have. And not everybody has lots and lots of money. But at the same time, I see um, people doing incredible things with their lives and being prudent and being clever with the way they, they, they look after their money. Likewise, if you have a lot of money and you sit in fear every day worrying about what the returns are, not living your last, um, not having experiences, and I go, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't succeed there. So when I honestly see a client actually living life, this is a long answer, you know, I love talking. <laughs> that for me is when I've had a successful relationship with my client. Do you have a favorite story of where it actually worked out well? Like obviously protecting names and things. Does anything come to mind that you would be open to share with us of where financial planning and, and financial life planning has actually worked well? I have so many stories. Um, that's what I always say about this industry that, that I love is the fact that when I go to sleep at night, I go, oh, wow, today we had an impact. So today we, 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 we definitely, the work we did meant something to, to this family. I mean, the sad story is I have one of my clients right now, and I found out yesterday morning he was out riding his motorbike and he got hit by a car. He's in ICU right now. And at the time... I was talking to one of the other planners of Chartered and we were saying, oh, you know, like, why does these things have to happen? And then it's not fair. Um, and then we also realized that he loved being out there on his motorbike. That was part of the whole plan that we put in place. Um, and, and, and I don't know, and I'm just hoping that the doctors and everything are going to be there to help him through it all. But we all also know that we had all of his plans in place for his wife and for his son that everything is taken care of. And, and I, you know, it is why we do what we do. It's to help our clients through not only the good times. I mean, I can share with you a good story as well, but this is on my heart at the moment because all day we've been waiting for news of how he's doing and has he got through this um, th this time. So, yeah, that's, that, that, that is a, a, a big thing of why we do what we do. Thank you for sharing that story, Kim. And I know these relationships are not only relationships, they're not cl only clients, they become friends and, you know, some even feel like family. I want to talk a bit about the work you do with Brené Brown around empathy and how at some point when we feel so strongly for our clients, it could become debilitating. You know, we've talked a little bit about mental health and about how we manage it. Um, how do you straddle this space between what's helpful empathy versus what is too much? And is that even a valid question? Oh, it's a very valid question. Incredibly valid, valid. Because as you said, we don't, we don't necessarily get the formal training as financial planners. I mean, if you're a psychologist or a doctor, you've had all this training around how do you support, how do you not take on people's feelings, how do you not become too involved. So 
my big thing that I picked up in the industry as time's gone on, a lot of times, we want to believe, and I think this goes to our conversation of young people as well. Young people do not have to have gone through the experience that maybe the older clients have been through. What they need to do is they need to be able to identify the emotion that the person is going through. And if you can identify that emotion, then you are a, a, a way better planner than somebody who believes they have to feel it for you. So my, my example is always when the client tells a story, then we'll try and better the story. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I also had somebody that got hijacked or I also had somebody that's left the country. No, that for me is a no-no. There's a limit between making it about the client and showing the client in body language and in the questions we ask that we're curious about them, that we shouldn't be trying to make it about ourselves. So with the Brené work, the Brené Brown, I went to the States and I trained with her as a Brené Brown facilitator four years ago, life-changing for me. She doesn't offer it anymore, so I'm sorry for anybody who would want to do it, but reading her books on... on which is Dare to Lead, is really very valuable. And in that, she not only teaches you that skill of connecting with emotions, but the second skill that I took out of it is this one of empathy, which is what you're bringing up. When we are empathetic with somebody, most of us get it wrong. And we do get it wrong. We go into this mode of sympathy where we want to you know, go down the rabbit hole with the person and actually you know, um, give them advice straight away, you know, what could be better or it could be worse. Uh, this is what you should be doing. And as planners, we are trained to give advice. And the biggest time, and we call it empathy misses, and the, the biggest way we have an empathy miss is when we give advice. Um, so training for us as planners around meeting the client where they are, recognizing the client where they are and not trying to fix them becomes vitally important because we are not psychologists. We are financial planners and our clients want to be heard and they want us to be listening. They don't want us to be fixing them. And when we get into that, I've got to fix my client mode, we will burn out and we will not be able to stay in the industry. So that would be something that I would love more teaching to be done for financial planners on what is real empathy and how do we stay in that position as opposed to trying to fix our clients? Kim, the very first session I had with a psychologist, she asked me, are you a fixer or are you comfortable sitting in this space? So I want to know if you are a fixer and you're listening to this and you say, oh, I show up and I want to fix, I, can you change that default? Is there a way to move over to the light side, away from the darker side? Um or is it just noticing and saying, oh, hold on, I need to have other people in this conversation? How would you train a younger financial planner that's default is most likely to want to fix? So for me, I, I start by saying, when you have made a change in your life, a significant change, has it been because somebody told you to do it? Or has it been because somebody asked you enough questions or supported you enough that you made the decision to make the change. Because if we are truthful with ourselves, so we go into this mode and we, we, we do, we want to fix. I mean, I, I'm a mother of three children. 
ever wanting to As fix. a parent, there's lots of fixing. <laughs> so much that. fixing. But where have I really had an impact with my children and really where I've made a difference is not where I've gone in and fixed it for them. And I think that was what I would tell the young financial planners that were, would be coming through the training that it is an aha moment for yourself as much as it is for a client when you practice with them not fixing, not giving advice, and you watch the client come up with the idea and go and do it themselves, and then it really sticks, as opposed to them leaving and you've given them 10 things that they've got to do, and when they leave, they're so overwhelmed that they do none of it. So I think, Lou, that was, would be how I would train it You have to be able to relate it to yourself. You have to think of an experience in your life and go, like, when that happened, what was the aha moment for me? Yeah, it's from that fixing to almost more facilitating and saying, hey, create create this space. Do clients expect this when they come to Chartered Wealth? Like, are they showing up knowing they're going to have these types of conversations? Because I would imagine a lot of it can really evoke strong emotions. Or are they surprised when they go through the process? I I just want to know, do you set them up with the expectation of what might come? Or is it a surprise? So there's also two different clients that come to you. So I think the clients, I mean, our, our best way of getting new clients is from our clients. So normally if our clients have recommended somebody, I would say the client is, the new client is already understanding the kind of conversations that they're going to be having. There's nothing better than a client selling you or promoting you. But when somebody has come from outside completely, then I think there is a whole lot of expectation setting. So we are not a business that wants to do single needs. So you can't come to us and we'll just sell, you know, give you a product or give you some advice. We do um, have a process and upfront we set the scene that the process is, part of it is the first meeting is life planning. And in the first meeting, we will be discussing your memories with money. We'll be discussing your relationship with money. We'll be discussing your personality profile and we'll be looking at what does your next chapter look like if it turns out well. So they know that they're going to be having that kind of conversation. I mean, obviously we're sensitive to not just pushing people to go too deep to where they don't want to go. But what we also want to know is what do you want? Because most people want to tell us what they don't want and not what they want. So through the life planning, we're changing the conversations around what would your life look like if it turned out well? Now we can do your investments for you to make sure that we're in alignment with your values and, and, and what it is you want to achieve, as opposed to us giving you what we think you need and not knowing the first thing about you. So it is a different conversation. I think there's a different person that comes to us. I don't think we're necessarily there for everybody, but guess what? There's more than enough clients out there so that the ones that resonate with what we believe in come to us and the ones that resonate with what somebody else believes in can go to them. And there's clearly a big enough need for you to build a business with 85 staff members. You know, it's not, uh, it feels like one of those things when once someone sees it, they can't unsee it. And for the listeners, uh, it's worthwhile to listen to the George Kinder episode where we talk a bit about cultivating these skills in those meetings. I I do want to ask you, I think if I stand correct, there's only three registered life planners in South Africa, two of them being Kim's. 
Is this something that clients aren't aware of or do you find that it's a piece that has to work within financial planning? I guess what I'm getting to is why is it not as celebrated as what we see, for instance, in America and Europe where people reach out to registered life planners or is that just my own bias showing up? So I've got quite a strong opinion on this all. And my strong opinion is that we are certified financial planners and that we use all of these ways and skills in order to be better certified financial planners. So Louis, I have never said to one client that I'm a registered life planner with the George Kinder Institute. I have never said to one client that I am a professional coach with the ICF. I have never said to them about the Brené Brown course. I do not. The only thing the client knows is I'm a certified financial planner. And for me, it helps me because I'm so passionate about this industry. And I believe as an industry, we're fragmenting ourselves so badly because we've got to come up with all these different titles of who we are and who's better and who's not better. And at the end of the day, we're here to serve our clients. And so for me, it's that's why, I, I mean, I just say that I'm the certified financial planner. And I think the reason the business grows and, 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 and we have more and more people coming to us is because we're doing a good job. And we need all of those skills to do a good job. It's not enough our technical knowledge. And if we are one of these planners, and no, none of, none of us listening to this are, who believe that our technical skills are enough, we are the ones that are going to be left behind. So having all of these skills and learnings from people like George Kinder, Mitch Anthony, Brené, has only made me be able to be what I call a better financial planner. And I think that the work that you do, I mean, we didn't even get to talk about the Modern Elder Academy, the work that you do outside of what's expected by a financial planner is showing up. It shows up in the business, it shows up in your relationships, and ultimately it makes you a better person, not just a better financial planner. I'm curious, what what's next for Kim? I mean, I know there's a lot going on, so please don't feel the need to <laughs> blow us away and sometimes just focusing on what where things are at the moment is also okay. Um, but is there anything that is exciting you at the moment? I think my biggest excitement at the moment is very much, much of what we've been talking about today is how do I share this knowledge that I've got with younger people entering the industry? I want more younger people to stay in the industry, not just enter it. I also, being a woman, I resonate with a whole lot of women who maybe have found it more difficult in our industry. And that's why eight years ago, I started Women in Finance Network, which is a network where I bring more, you know, we bring women together to support each other and, and keep each other in the industry. So really my exciting thing is not necessarily going and learning and learning and learning, but it's sharing what I've got and finding opportunities where actually I'm going to watch other planners become phenomenal planners and hopefully I'll be privileged enough that they'll allow me to share some of what I've learned and, and, and they can use it if it benefits them. Thank you so much for the work you do, Kim, in changing almost every financial planner, definitely in South Africa. And I'm sure there's a couple of international guests also listening and saying, yeah, she's, she's had an influence on my journey. I wish you all, this, all the success in your business and just this curiosity. May it long continue. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me.